In the religious world, there's only been two religions that have been brought about by angelic proclamation. One of those is Islam, the other is Mormonism. Both of them claim to be authoritative. We've been dealing with Mormonism over the last few weeks on the Let's Get Real podcast, and what we're going to deal with today is the whole idea of Mormon authority vis-a-vis the priesthood. So, since Mormonism claims to be the restoration of the gospel, it also claims to have the authority to perform priestly duties and therefore properly represent God on earth. My name is Rob Lundberg, and you are listening to the Let's Get Real podcast. Welcome to the Let's Get Real podcast. My name is Rob Lundberg, and what we are going to talk about today is probably one of the most pivotal issues in understanding the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and that is the authority. Now, in past shows, I have shared with you maybe a couple times that Mormons will often ask me, as somebody who critiques Mormonism, and in workshops that I have conducted over the years, where do I get my authority to criticize Mormonism? Well, I'll just just like to remind you, if you're a Mormon, and if you are a follower, or if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, in other words, the real Jesus, I want to let you know that I get my authority first from the Gospel of John, where where the Apostle John, not the Apostle Paul, but the Apostle John says in John 1.12, For as many that have received him, to them he gave the right, that word there is the Greek word exousia, which means authority, to become children of God even to those who believe in his name. And if you go and you watch the Apostle Paul in his discourses in the book of Acts as you read it, you can almost visualize him going and critiquing the religion of the Jews. So it isn't anything to go and critique a religion so long as you represent it correctly. And I have been representing Mormonism correctly. I've been told that I know a lot more than the average Mormon sitting in the pews, in their pews which they like to go and throw in my face that they go and they baptize a Baptist church every year. So this is why we're doing this podcast and we're dealing with the Mormons because I want you to know that they have a false authority. But there's another source of that I get that comes straight from them. It comes from their second prophet, Brigham Young, who says, take up the Bible, compare it with the religion of the Latter-day Saints and see if it stands the test. So friends, this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at Mormon authority on the Let's Get Real podcast today, and we're going to look at it from the perspective of what they say and what the Bible says. Now, I'm going to just basically give you an outline of where we are going to go and then deal with what they say and then deal what scripture says and just basically put this issue to rest. Because 
their authority is based on a false authority. They believe that the angel Moroni showed up to Joseph Smith and told him that all the creeds of Christendom are an abomination in God's sight, that he was to restore the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthoods, and that the angel would show him where the golden tablets were buried in Palmyra, New York, which I've been to. I've been there. I've seen a facsimile of them. And there's no archaeological evidence for anything that is recorded in the Book of Mormon, but I'm not going to chase that today. All I'm saying is that they, he was told, and the Mormon church has been given a false bill of goods on authority. Now, when you talk about authority in the Mormon church, you know, we as I introduced this show, that... Mormonism does claim to be the restoration of the gospel. It also claims to have the authority to carry out the proper religious practices that are according to what God originally prescribed on earth. In other words, basically, as we talked about the fact that a few shows ago, a couple shows ago, that there was an apostasy by the church, and we put that thing to bed. But when we deal with the Mormon church's authority, we need to understand that it is multi-layered, okay? You have what is called the Melchizedek priesthood. And this is the greater priesthood that consists of several offices. It involves the office of elder, uh, the Council of the Seventy, a high priest, the patriarch or the evangelist, an apostle. And they also have what is called the Aaronic priesthood, the priesthood after Aaron, okay? And this is a part of the greater part of the Mormons' understanding of the Melchizedek priesthood. And of course, then they have their deacons and they have their teachers and they have their priests and the bishop who's a, who oversees what are called wards. And the, he's a bishop over a stake. A stake is a, seri, uh, a group of wards, kind of like it. in the Baptist world, you have an association of churches and you have a director of missions. He would be kind of like along that lines. So quite simply we need to understand as Christians that the Bible contradicts what Mormons believe concerning the priesthood. And what I'm going to lay out for us is that, first off, Jesus is the only high priest after the order of Melchizedek, and I'll give you scripture on that so that you can uh, look those up. Also, where Jesus, uh, it says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20, where, where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf, has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That's Hebrews 6, 20. And that will be the premise of what I'm going to deal with today. And then also, what we have... And what we've said, even more clear, if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of the regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of the indestructible life. That's Hebrews 7, verse 15 to 16. 
And then there's a second part to this, that the Melchizedek priesthood is unchangeable and untransferable. And I will defend this as we go. But let's deal with what Mormonism teaches first, and then I'll read for you what Hebrews chapter 7, 24 says. So, with regards to Mormonism, it teaches that the authorized priesthood was restored to Joseph Smith, who was the founder of the LDS Church, and that was supposedly in 1829, which is the year before was even founded, the church was founded. Now, today, two kinds of priesthood are available to eligible males, but not to females. First, there's the priesthood, which is called the Aaronic Priesthood, which Smith and his friend Oliver Cowdery claimed that this priesthood was restored on May 15th of 1829 when John the Baptist came and ordained them. And that's according to their, their source, Doctrine and Covenants 27 uh, verses 7 and 8. Now the two men then baptized each other in the Susquehanna River in New York. And it, while in biblical times only, <clears throat> those hailing from the tribe of Levi could be considered Aaronic priests and serve in the temple. And there's no such limitation in Mormonism, though, as the Latter-day Saints believe that they have a spiritual claim as members of one of the 12 tribes of Israel, which they received after their patriarchal blessing. Now, when you go to forward in history... And starting in 2019, in the Mormon church, worthy boys as young as 11 and 12 previously were able to hold this priesthood. And the LDS Church Manual says this, that they received many opportunities to participate in sacred priesthood ordinances and give service. As they worthily fulfill their duties, they act in the name of the Lord to help others receive the blessings of the gospel. The offices of the Aaronic priesthood are bishop, priest, teacher, and deacon. And that is found in the LDS source, True to the Faith, a Gospel Reference uh, copyrighted in 2004 on page 3. Now, those possessing the Aaronic priesthood are authorized to pass the elements at the weekly sacrament service, which would be like the LDS uh, forgery of the Lord's Supper that we have in our evangelical churches. Now, <clears throat> the LDS Church Manual also explains what is called the Melchizedek Priesthood. And the Melchizedek Priesthood is named after Melchizedek, which we read about in Genesis. And according to them, Melchizedek was a very righteous man, of course the Bible teaches that as well, who had the priesthood. He lived in the time of Abraham, that is correct, according to Scripture. And he was a high priest. Now before the priesthood, was named after him, it was called the Holy Priesthood according to the order of the Son of God. Now, this is where they get into the whole idea, and this would follow into the fact that Mormons believe that we pre-existed, and that this was handed down by the eternal Son of God. Now, there's 
there's more to this. The name of the priesthood was changed from Melchizedek to prevent people from using the name of God too much. And this is found in Gospel Fundamentals, uh, copyrighted 2002 on page 108. Now, the priesthood was apparently lost for most people after the time of Moses in the 15th century BC. So what we have here, according to the LDS Church, they say that from Adam to Moses, righteous men holding the priesthood were ordained as high priests. We have folks like Adam, Enoch, Noah, Melchizedek, Abraham, and Moses, and many others all were ordained as high priests. That is according to their source, Doctrine and Covenants 107, verse 53, and in the Book of Mormon, Alma 13. After the time of Moses, the Melchizedek priesthood was generally withdrawn from the earth, according to them, except among the prophets and the law function under the Aaronic priesthood. Thus, under the law of Moses, a high priest, a high priest was the chief priest in the, in the Aaronic priesthood. And he presided over all the other priests and their functions and ordinances, particularly those of the temple. Only a direct descendant of the firstborn son of Aaron anointed to be the spiritual was anointed to be the spiritual head of the people. And only that person could become a high priest, according to the Encyclopedia of Mormonism, volume one, page five eighty-eight. There's another manual that explains that this greater priesthood was given to Adam and has been on the earth whenever the Lord was, has revealed his gospel. And it was taken away from the earth during the time of the great apostasy, but it was restored, get this now, in May of 1829, 10 years before the church was founded, when the apostle Peter, James, and John conferred it upon Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery. So you have John the Baptist, you have uh, Peter, James, and John, and John the Baptist uh, ordaining Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery. So when you talk about this the, the visions that the LDS have with regards to Joseph Smith, there seems to be some problems. And the reason why I bring this up is if you want to find this, if you want to find this source in the LDS, it's True to the Faith, a Gospel Reference, copyrighted 2004, page 101. So you go to the, you move forward now to the 17th president of the LDS church, Russell M. Nelson who described the different offices in the Melchizedek priesthood, which qualifies 18-year-old men and older who can receive, quote, and here's the quote, there are five offices in the Melchizedek priesthood, elder, high priest, patriarch, 70, and the apostle, according to the mission and ministry of the Savior and Ensign, June 2005, page 16. That's a Mormon source. Those who belong to this priesthood are able to receive their temple endowment and be sealed to their families for eternity. So we'll talk about the eternal plan of progression in another show because that is going to be an important thing because that is basically the Mormon gospel. 
uh, as opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which was given, which never disappeared from the earth, and that is Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and he rose on the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared to the twelve. He appeared to the apostle Paul lists those in, in 1 Corinthians 15. So, those who belong to the priesthood, according to Mormonism, are able to receive the temple endowment and to be sealed to their families for eternity. Now, there's a church manual source here as well, and that says this. It is from True to the Faith, a gospel reference, copyrighted 2004, 102. When a man receives Melchizedek, he enters into an oath and covenants of the priesthood. He covenants to be faithful, magnify his calling, giving diligent heed to the words of eternal life, and live by every word that proceedeth forth from the mouth of God. Well, wait a minute. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We have Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Yeah. Um, those who keep his covenants will be sanctified by the Spirit and receive all, quote, all that the Father hath. That's true to the faith, gospel reference, 2004, page 102. Now, according to Henry B. Eyring, the second council of the first presidency, this priesthood is necessary to gain exaltation. In other words, when they talk about exaltation, they're talking about attaining godhood. In other words, as man now is, God once was, as God now is, man may become. In other words, they believe that they can become a god. There's a video out there, in fact, I, I saw it this past week, that uh, they believe that God, having been a man, could have sinned. So what's that say about a god who is holy? God in the Mormon church is not holy. He, he, he is he's a potential sinner, and he's probably a potential sinner even now. But I digress. Rising to the possibilities of the oath and the covenant brings forth the greatest of all gifts of God, which is eternal life. That is the purpose of the Melchizedek priesthood. Through keeping of the covenants as we receive the priesthood and renewing them in the covenant ceremonies, in the temple ceremonies, we are promised by an oath made by our heavenly father, Elohim, get that, that we will gain the fullness of his glory and live as he lives and we will have the blessing of being sealed in a forever family with the promise of eternal Increase. That's Henry B. Eyring, faithful and faith and the oath and the covenant of the priesthood ensign, the conference edition, May 2008, page 61. Now remember, I said that the females could not attain the priesthood. Now you may have Mormon missionaries that come to your house, and they may have they may be female. Only the guys in that team hold the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthoods. So when you talk to a Mormon missionary, you want to make sure that you address the guy. Why? Because a woman can receive the blessings of the Melchizedek priesthood by receiving the ordinances of the gospel and by being married to a righteous priesthood owner. That is, Duties and Blessings of the Priesthood, a Basic Manual for the Priesthood Holder, Part B, 
copyrighted 2000, page 31. Male missionaries, as I just mentioned, are called elders, which means they hold or they are holders of both the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthoods. For those who hold these priesthoods, there are a number of possible duties, including being present at convert baptisms at witnesses. Now, two priests or men who hold the Melchizedek priesthood witness each baptism to be sure it is performed properly. The baptism must be repeated if the words are not spoken exactly as given in Doctrine and Covenants 20 verse 73, or if part of a person's body or clothing has not been immersed completely, and that is for the Family Guidebook, Priesthood Ordinances and Blessings, 2006, page 20. Now, I, what I've basically gone and done, folks, is I've gone and describe for you the Mormon view of the priesthood. And if you go and you look on YouTube, you'll see these punk kids that are wise mouth, wise cracking, taking pokes at evangelical Christianity. It's called LDS Unscripted. I'm not going to give you the link to that, but if you want to look for it, I'm looking to possibly do some video podcasts and don't be surprised if I do some of those where we go and we examine and, and critique one of their views. But what I have given you is not what biblical Christianity teaches. What does biblical Christianity teach? What it teaches very simply is that the Aaronic priesthood was never meant for anyone except those Jews who belonged to the tribe of Aaron. In other words, Mormon missionaries cannot be a part of the tribe of Aaron. Meanwhile, the Melchizedek priesthood is the only priesthood held by Jesus. In other words, Mormon missionaries cannot have that. Hebrews chapter 7 cites Psalm 110 and says that Jesus was prophesied to be the one who would hold such a priesthood and he would hold it forever. Let me scroll up to my script here and give you that passage again. Hebrews 7.24, it says, because Jesus lives forever. And he has a permanent, oh, and that, but that word there in the Greek means untransferable. In other words, that priesthood of Melchizedek cannot be transferred because only the Son of God, who is God in human flesh, second person of the Trinity, and the Trinity if you're an LDS missionary, is not the plurality of gods. It is the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. So the who, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is what? 
if you're an LDS missionary, if you're a member of the LDS church, you have the wrong God because you believe your God's name is Elohim. That's just one of his many names. In fact, I know where that comes from because it comes from the very first verse of the book of Genesis, Bereshith Elohim Barach. In other words, in the beginning, God, in the plurality, created, and of course, created the heavens and the earth. But if you're a Mormon, you can't have the Aaronic priesthood because you're not from the tribe of Aaron. And if you're a Mormon, you cannot have the Melchizedek priesthood because Jesus holds it permanently. And it is not transferable. I hope that makes sense. Because when you deal with the, the Mormon priesthood, Mormonism teaches that the authorized priesthood was restored to Joseph Smith. Next week, I'm going to talk about Joseph Smith as a false prophet and some of the crazy zaniness stuff that he came out with. So until next week, we're going to have fun. But please note that if you do have any questions, please email me at roblundberg315 at gmail.com. You know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is very simple. It's simplistic because Paul says, talking about the purity and the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's because in Galatians chapter 1 and 2 Corinthians 11, he talks about those who come with another gospel, another word and an, if, an, an, another message altogether. If someone comes to you and preaches another gospel, and that gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. That's what it's all about, friends. So thank you for listening to the Let's Get Real podcast. We've been well within our scope this week, but this is a very important topic, you know, because they have a false sense of authority. Our authority is the word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for correction, for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, rebuke, that the man of God or woman of God may be thoroughly furnished for every good work. It's not a new revelation. It is the closed canon scripture. And it is authoritative, not the Book of Mormon, not the Pearl of Great Price, and not Doctrine and Covenants. You've been listening to the Let's Get Real podcast. I want to thank you for listening and indulging this material with me. As you go out this week, as we come upon the Christmas season, it's one of my favorite times of the year, next to Easter. But it's one of my favorite times of the year because it talks about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, we know that Jesus wasn't born on December 25th and everything, but it's a time that the Western world and the Western church over the years has gone and uh, set that time of December 25th. So we, we recognize that. But the reason why he came is he came to die for yours and my sins, that we might find meaning and true purpose in our existence. Where do we come from? We are products of, of, of a God who created us in his image and his likeness by our parents. 
What is our meaning and purpose in life? To know God and make him known. To enjoy him forever. And where does morality come from? It's because God is a moral lawgiver and it starts with him. It doesn't start with us. It doesn't start with the culture. It doesn't start with the Supreme Court of the United States. It starts with him. And then where are we going? Well, if we don't know Jesus Christ, we're heading in a place that's called hell that is not meant for us. But if we do, need, if we do know Jesus Christ, then we are headed into the presence of God because the Apostle Paul says, absent from the body, it is to be present with the Lord. So thank you for listening this week. And as you go out this week, go out and give them heaven and we'll be back with you to talk about the problems with Joseph Smith. Go out and give them heaven. Lord bless.